Hello and welcome to Afternoonified, the podcast where if you play this episode backwards, you can hear us confessing to numerous unsolved murders. I'm Sarah. And I'm Emily. And no, you cannot. She's making a joke. It's a clever cipher. That's not how ciphers work. I did kill the lady in the dunes, though. <laughs> ah, it was you. Yeah. You it all along. I picked her up on the set of Jaws. <laughs> it wasn't Haddon Clark. It was me. Yeah, I would believe that. Explains why you're so obsessed with it. Um, we're actually going to talk about one of my favorite um, used to be unsolved, now solved mysteries uh, in the second part of this episode. Oh, delightful. It. it I'm not going to say it is a substantial part of the story, but it does include, like I said, my favorite unsolved, now solved mystery. So we're going to fucking talk about it anyways. We should probably say hello. Yes, welcome back. Actually, welcome back this time. That's If you listen to the episodes in reverse, that joke actually makes sense. You will be welcome back again. Don't worry. It's going to become very apparent in the mini next week, but I am sick, so I am sorry. Um, That's why I sound like this. We, despite taking a break, uh, very last minute, we are committed to our release schedule. I clearly. came back worse than before. Don't we always come back just a little bit worse? And it, that's our promise to you. Always a little bit worse. Speaking of worse, I don't know. Um, we are uh, we are starting off and finishing off spooky season with a two-part extravaganza about your favorite and mine. Actually, is not my favorite unsolved murder, but that's beside the point. Uh, the Zodiac. Not even remotely. I, I would yeah, say it's, guy. it's probably, like, close to your favorite unsolved murder, right? Or do you just not really like remotely. the movie? It's not? I just really like the movie. I, I honestly <laughs> don't care that much about the case. That's good. Like, I know the details about it because of the movie uh, and because of researching this episode, but, like, I, I don't really give a shit. <laughs> so, like, if it's... I think part of part of my ambivalence is just like the Zodiac killer case falls into that weird pit that true crime cases so often do that not necessarily true crime, but like serial killer cases where like he gets so mythologized and so built up by people when he was kind of just a doughy loser. That's a very good way of putting it. And that's why I just can't bring myself to care. I do think it's, like, interesting. Like, there are elements I'd find interesting. I just, I do, yeah, not going to consider it, like, a pet case by any means. I It's it's not your Jack the Ripper. Um, yeah, which, no. again, is one of those cases where I don't think it's necessarily that he was particularly intelligent or, like, I can't think of the word. He wasn't a genius. He he just stupided his way into not getting caught. Yeah, and like not getting caught is not a sign of intelligence. Not getting caught in 1969 is not a sign of intelligence. It's just a sign that we no. didn't know what the fuck we were doing. And and Sarah Marshall from So You're Wrong About, who I cite a lot, I know, but like she brings up this really good point that like serial killers are really good. Like the myth we build around serial killers is really good PR for cops because it like explains how they can't do their job good like, <laughs> why how could they solve these cases they're up against a criminal mastermind when sometimes it's just that the cops are bad at their jobs yeah and they're bad at their <laughs> jobs or they won't work like there's a lot of not really working together inter 
police department with this case or they didn't have the tools that they needed to like whatever or this guy is just such a random idiot that like it's hard to pin down what's going on yeah serial cases are the hardest to solve because they're random yeah there's no connection that's usually how you solve the case is you figure out who has the motive and if no one has a motive if your motive is my dick doesn't work and i like to draw ciphers (laughs) like that's really hard to track down yeah. So with that preamble. Stunning start to this. <laughs> I am very interested because this is a case like I've seen the movie. I haven't really looked into it a ton uh, just because there are so many like I think the interesting part here is how the case was handled. Not so much the guy himself, but like the ins and outs of like the investigation and like all of the different shit that they tried. Yeah, that's the best part of the movie. And rewatching the movie for this episode I realized, like, how quickly, like, the whole murder part of the movie is, like... It's over so fast! In, like, the first half hour of the movie, and it's a two and a half hour long movie. (laughs) And, like, that's the way to do it. Like, it doesn't dwell on them. It doesn't, like, glamorize them. It kind of, like, shows them in all their horror. um, Because these are truly horrific crimes. I'm not going to, like, downplay that by any means. Um, But then it gets into the investigation, and, like, the murders... Yeah. Several young people still died. Very young people. I will say uh, that my favorite non-Jake Gyllenhaal part of the movie, or non-Mark Ruffalo's bow ties part of the movie, is that Minkus from Boy Meets World grows up to be <laughs> Jimmy Simpson. Yeah, that tracks. Minkus is the first face that you see in that movie, and we don't talk about it enough. So we're going to divide I this- I never made that connection. I was like, oh yeah, that's that guy. Like, no, it's Minkus. It's like, this is a fami- This is an actor that's familiar, but I never made that connection. Interesting. Um, oh, good timing. Oh, your cat came to scream? Yeah. Hi. She knew I that I had the, the obnoxious sounds covered in the last episode, so she's stepping in to, to fill her role now that I haven't coughed once. <laughs> that's how it goes. All uh, right. I'm going to go ahead and uh, list off my sources here before I get too ahead of myself, and then we will actually talk about the Zodiac. Um, so there are a lot of interesting websites on the internet about the Zodiac. <laughs> no shit. Um, I have pulled from Wikipedia, ZodiacKiller.com, Shadow of the Zodiac, uh, Biography.com, SF Weekly, and Uncovered.com. I'm going to cut okay. this out, but if you could send me the list of your sources for what I have to do stuff next week. Yes, I will do that. They're good sources. They're very comprehensive. Wait, okay. Are you going to stop so I can talk about um, a Joey loser? Okay, well. I think the important thing to realize is that this whole case comes down to it was Ted Cruz's dad. Um, it, spoiler alert. It was Ted Cruz's dad. It was Grandpa Munster. Um, that's actually offensive to Grandpa Munster. I don't want to put that on Grandpa Munster. He's a wonderful character in, in television and doesn't deserve that kind of bullshit. Have you seen those bumper stickers that are just that just say like Ted Cruz ate my son? <laughs> Peak humor. No. <laughs> okay. Let's 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 talk about who the Zodiac guy is anyway. I'm sure there's at least one person out there who's like, who's this? What are we talking about? I don't These young people today. They don't know their classic serial killers, Emily. Uh, So, uh, the Zodiac Killer, which um, is a name that it should be mentioned he gave himself, uh, was a serial serial killer who has been linked to at least five murders in Northern California between 1968 and 1969. Nice. Uh, (laughs) That's the second time today. I know, you did it, so no, I had to do it. 
There are many who would like to think he was much more prolific, uh, including the Zodiac himself, who continued to write letters well into the 70s claiming he had killed as many as 37 people. You think he's one of those guys that's kind of like a... Uh, um like a super Catholic or Christian minister that like when a hurricane happens, they're like, I did that. That was me calling upon the Lord to smite you. So like someone gets hit by a car in the Zodiac is like, that was me. It's definitely the same energy. Just over self-righteous shitheads. Yeah. Uh, So today, many, many years later, the Zodiac killer remains unidentified and his murders remain unsolved. So we are going to tackle this in two parts, as uh, we mentioned previously. So I'm going to cover the crimes up until like 1969-ish. And then Emily is going to take over and talk about the investigation and the suspects and probably some other stuff that will come up in the course of her research. Um, And presumably by the end of October, we will have solved the Zodiac mystery. Yeah, it was uh, John Carroll Lynch. I was going to say it was uh, Steve Hodel's dad. Oh, right, I forgot. I forgot that motherfucker throws his dad out of the bus for everything. I think the Zodiac was like, he's like, first, he definitely killed the Black Dahlia. Also, he was the Zodiac. And then he continued to, you know, snowball from there. And then then he also killed John Bray oh, Ramsey, yeah. for yeah. sure. Pretty much every famous crime ever, because that's how serial killers work. <laughs> I'm so- <sighs> I mean, I enjoy listening to true crime. Obviously, I enjoy listening to true crime for many reasons. But it's just, people are so fucking stupid sometimes. (laughs) It's all stupid. There's definitely, there's good true crime and then there's true crime. We're gonna, we're gonna at least try and get closer to the true good, or the good true crime. Uh, We're not gonna do that, like, oxygen, like... This channel exists to scare women true crime. Yeah. You shouldn't be scared of the Zodiac Killer. He was a dweeb. He is dead. <laughs> he most definitely is. Because, uh, as we mentioned, the first mo- the first murders that can be definitively linked to the Zodiac occurred the night of December 20th, 1968, which, uh, as you might realize, was like 50-ish years ago. More than that? 55? I can't do... It's a long-ass time ago. I can't do your math. Uh, but it was a long time ago. <laughs> Very good. Uh, So that night was the first date for high school students David Faraday and Betty Lou Jensen. Both lived in the small town of Benicia, just north of San Francisco, though they went to different high schools. Uh, Betty Lou, who was 16, was a junior at Hogan High School and an honor student. So she was a member of a service club known as the Pythian Sunshine Girls, which sounds nice. Uh, Their purpose was to, quote, lay a foundation of purity, service, and usefulness in all things that help make the lives of those around us happier. I mean, they sound like a pain in the ass, but, like, that's really nice. (laughs) She was a nice girl. David, who was 17, was a senior at Vallejo High School, and he was an Eagle Scout and a member of the wrestling team and had, oh, yeah, he had also achieved the rank of Eagle Scout. I write here in my notes. I felt that was so important. I did have to mention it twice. Uh, it's hard becoming an Eagle Scout. You got to do like community service. It's a big thing. So do criminals, Sarah. <laughs> yeah, but you do it proactively. Get it out of the way ahead of time. <laughs> uh, the two had met a week or two before at a church function, and they were both on the decorating committee for an upcoming musical musical festival. And that is how they met. Uh, so this is what we in the business would call the most dead. Um, pretty white girls and handsome white yep. men. Completely, like, normal, good, straight-laced kids. Yeah. The ones that the media cares the most about. Yeah. Absolutely. Which is also why the Zodiac caught so much attention, is because he killed the most dead. 
Uh, it was apparently love at first sight. David, who was, like I said, by all accounts, a very straight-laced kid, uh, even started skipping school in order to spend time with Betty Lou, and he drove her home from school every day that week. How old was she again? 16. Okay. Uh, Betty Lou had never dated anyone, and taking the advice of her sister, she invited David to her home to meet her parents ahead of their first official date on December 20th. Uh, David arrived at 8 p.m. driving his mother's two-toned Rambler. Their plan for the night was to attend an event at Betty Lou's high school. I've I've seen it described as either like a Christmas concert or a holiday festival. Um, and then they'd go to a little party, but they were going to be home by 11. Like, pretty tame. Yeah, I mean, it's not exactly whips and leather. Well, no, they're two church kids in 1968. Arguably the most boring people that ever could have existed. And that is their God-given right. God bless them, honestly. Uh, at some point in the evening, David and Betty Lou took a detour down Lake Herman Road, a rural shortcut between Vallejo and Benicia that was a well-known lover's lane, uh, which, if you were my dad, you would describe as a place people go to park their car and neck. Oh, God. Necking is the worst way to... No, I would say it's a tie between necking and heavy petting for, like, the worst way to describe that. I would it's take all necking bad. any day, honestly. It's, over, it's, over calling it heavy petting. Yeah, it's still, it's still kind of gross, but, like... At least it kind of has like that old timey charm, whereas heavy petting just sounds upsetting. Gross. Yeah. <laughs> Shortly after 11 that evening, a woman named Stella Medeiros left her home on Lake Herman Road to pick up her 13 year old son from a movie theater. And as she drove down the road, her headlights shone across the bodies of David and Betty Lou lying in the dirt outside of the Rambler. Uh, she sped up and drove all the way to Benicia, where she flashed her lights and honked her horn at the first police car she knew or that she saw. Because this is what you do when you don't have cell phones, I guess. Because you just drive around looking for the cops. Uh, So when detectives arrived at the scene, they found David Faraday lying outside the passenger door of his mother's car. He had been shot once in the head, just above the left ear at point blank range. Believe it or not, he was still breathing when the cops arrived at the scene. uh, But he did die shortly before he arrived at the hospital. R.I.P. nerd. (laughs) Betty's body was found a full 28 feet from the car covered in blood. She had been shot five times in the back and twice from the front. That seems like overkill. A little bit. Um, especially because David had only been shot once. Yeah, I guess. Well, we'll get to the circumstances. I'm- but what they kind of theorized was that, um, yeah, so there's no way to know for sure. No one was there except the killer. And we haven't talked to him yet. Uh, there's uh, f- Or have <laughs> or we? Have we? Uh, it's, he's, it's David Fincher. No. Forensic evidence suggests that the... That's a new angle. (laughs) Forensic evidence suggests that the victims were approached while they were inside the Rambler. It's believed the killer shot at the car to force them out. Betty Lou would exit the front passenger passenger door first, followed by David. And then the thought is that Zodiac probably shot David as he was getting out of the car. And then Betty Lou started to run and was shot as she was fleeing. I mean, that's not an uncommon thing is to shoot the man first, because theoretically, he would cause the most trouble. Uh, The weapon was determined to be a 22 caliber semi-automatic pistol loaded loaded with Winchester Super X ammunition based on the shell casings left behind at the scene. Sure, that means a lot if you you know guns. It's going to come up again, which is only why I mentioned it. Uh, as you can imagine, this crime came as a huge shock to the community. It was a very small, not like a very small town, but like it was not a big city by any means. Police followed a couple of leads. Uh, so there was a boy who knew Betty Lou that could have been jealous of her relationship with David. Um, but his alibi was that he was watching a Bob Hope movie with his family on the night of the killings. A hardened criminal worthy of our scrutiny. 
Uh, there was also a pair of men carrying guns that had been spotted by a nearby gas station around the time of the killings. Uh, they claimed to be hunting raccoons. Uh, but anyway, the guns that they were turning around didn't match the murder weapon anyway. Was one so, of them Elmer Fudd? That's the impression I got. That's exactly who I was picturing. They're all definitely wearing overalls. Be very, very quiet. I'm hunting raccoons. <sighs> Uh, the best theory they could come up with at the time was that the murder was somehow drug-related because this was the 60s and the police are bad at their jobs. Uh, oh my god! You can't blame everything on cults and drugs! You can if it's the 60s. Uh, unsurprisingly, the crime went unsolved. Yeah, that's why we're here. <laughs> I'm gonna get so frustrated with the police. Like, God bless David Fincher for casting Mark Ruffalo because and otherwise... making them likable, Yeah. Uh, seven months later, just before midnight on July 4th, 1969, uh, Darlene Farron, 22, a young mother and a popular waitress at a local diner, drove to the Blue Rock Springs Park in Vallejo with a friend, 19-year-old Mike Majo. Uh, friend in quotation marks? I, it's never, I guess it's honestly, none of our business. Yeah, but it's never honestly been clear to me, and I don't know if it's really clear to anybody what exactly the relationship was. He, he, he's been called both a friend and a boyfriend in a lot of the research that but I've she seen. was she was married. She was married, but apparently she still had boyfriends. Because, <laughs> I don't know. Fair enough. She sounds pretty cool, honestly. Good for her. <laughs> I mean, she's, she was cute in the movie. I assume I haven't uh, actually looked any pictures up of the, the victims. Also, but. in this, maybe this is like just projecting my own like sensibilities onto her. But like, she's 22, which is so young. It's the 60s. She probably got married because she was expected to get married. And that's just what you do. And then learned that being married sucks when you're like, I mean, it's not awful. But <laughs> I mean, it is yes. in the 60s when like, men just expect you to kind of be a housewife. And oh, yeah, I definitely wouldn't have done well being married at 22. But like, now it's yeah. fine. Yeah, but like you have a partner who likes you and like sees you as a whole human <laughs> being. We are just wildly speculating into this woman's marriage, but yes. Yeah. But I'm not talking specifically about this marriage, but just like generally the state of marriage in the 1960s was... Yeah, it wasn't great. Like we weren't doing great. Anyway, <laughs> now now that we've, you know, gotten to the bottom of what Darlene's thing was... Um, while they sought, God rest her soul. <laughs> while they sat and talked in Darlene's Chevrolet Corvair, uh, a second car, possibly a light brown Ford Mustang, drove into the lot and parked alongside them, only to drive away again almost immediately. Um, I'm just like picturing what's happening in the movie now. And it, guys, oh, I'm yeah. gonna just stop here and say if you've not seen David Fincher's Zodiac, you have to. It's so good. It's so tense in these scenes. I'd say it's my number two David Fincher movie. What's number one, uh, seven. Mm, fair enough. Also about a serial killer, yes. um, but they actually caught that one. Also, he was fake. <laughs> uh, so this car would return again 10 minutes later uh, when it parked behind them. The driver exited the vehicle and approached the passenger side door of the car, blinding Darlene and Mike with a flashlight. So thinking it was a police officer, they started to look for their identification, only for the man to open fire through the car window, firing five bullets at Darlene and Mike. Was it? common for the police to just knock on windows of parked cars and demand a CIDs? Probably. I mean, I assume they have nothing better to do because it's Vallejo, California in 1969. Uh, so they probably are just driving around and looking for kids necking. 
and just ruining their night because what else would they do? I don't know. Hold on. Hold on one second. Um, what could you possibly be Googling right now? <laughs> okay. No, never mind. I was I was just checking to see if the Golden State Killer was doing his thing at this time period, which in that case, they would have something to do, but he didn't start till 74, and he's a different episode. Yeah. Okay, so yeah, they they probably didn't have a, a ton to do. No. I mean, there probably weren't a lot of black people to harass. No. Uh, so the man began walking back to his car, but when Mike screamed in pain, uh, he returned again to fire two more shots into each victim. Gotta be quiet, Mike. <laughs> it was at this moment Mike Majot was able to get a good look at the man. He would later describe him as white, 5'8 to 5'9", with a stocky build, round face, and round face and brown hair, he appeared to be Joey, yeah, dickhead. Uh, he appeared to be somewhere in his late twenties, early thirties, uh, but he never spoke at any point during the attack. Uh, despite being shot four times in the face, neck, and chest, Mike survived the attack. Uh, Darlene unfortunately would not. She had been shot nine times, which is yeah, that's the overkill on the lady again. Yeah, you'll notice this trend. Uh, at twelve forty a.m., around forty-five minutes after the attack, a man called the Vallejo Police Department, reporting it as a double murder and subsequently taking credit. He correctly identified the murder weapon, a nine millimeter semi-automatic handgun. Uh, and while he was on the phone, decided to claim responsibility for the attack at the Lake Herman Road the previous December. Uh, the park where he had attacked Darlene and Mike was just four miles away from the previous murder site. So, like, this is very much the same neighborhood. Yeah, I mean, these are just, like, little suburbs mm-hmm. in, in uh, Northern California. Like, they're technically different police jurisdictions, but they're all basically the same area. Yeah. Police would rather trace would later trace the call to a phone booth at a gas station just a few blocks from the Vallejo Police Department, uh, and only three tenths of a mile from Darlene's home, which again just small world. Uh, Darlene's husband Dean Farron was initially a suspect in the murder, as was her previous husband James Crabtree. However, both were quickly quickly ruled out, and the investigation, of course, stalled. I mean, that's a pretty good first place to go. Um, because it is usually it's, the husband, especially in a situation like that. It's almost always the husband. Uh, so uh, later that month, on July thirty fourth, no, July thirty fourth, Colin Firth's birthday. <laughs> yes, later that month, on July thirty first, nineteen sixty nine, three letters were sent to the editors of the Vallejo Times Herald, the San Francisco Examiner, and the San Francisco Chronicle. Uh, they all state the same basic facts, but I am going to have you, Emily, read the one from the Chronicle because that's the one. That was in the movie. So, uh, I'll do my best, Robert Daddy Jr. This is incoming. So let me paste on my goatee. Do you want me to read the uh, typos as written? Yes, because it, whatever's funnier. Oh, I do know which one will be funnier. <laughs> All right. We'll see if I get around to putting some like fun voice bullshit over it. Um, Dear editor, this is the murderer of the two teenagers last Christmas at Lake Herman. Plus the girl on the 4th of July near the golf course in Vallejo. To prove I killed them, I shall state some facts which only I and the police know. Should I read the plus signs as and or plus? I did transcribe this directly from the letter, and they were plus signs in the letter. So okay. you do with okay. them what you will. Uh, Christmas. <laughs> One brand name of ammo, Super X. Two, ten shots were fired. Three, the boy was on his back with his feet to the car. Four, the girl was on her right set. In feet to the west. 4th July. 1. Girl was wearing patterned slacks. 2. The boy was also shot in the knee. 3. Brand name of ammo was western. 
Here is part of a cipher. The other two parts of this cipher are being mailed to the editors of the Vallejo Times plus ASF Examiner. I want you to print this cipher on the front page of your paper. In the cipher is my identity. If you do not print the cipher by the afternoon of Fry 1st of August 69, I will go on a kill rampage Fry night. I will cruise around all weekend killing bone people in the night and then move on to kill again until I end up with a dozen people over the weekend. You know, the sinus thing you've got going on is perfect for this. Yeah. I'm glad my pain translates to a good performance. It's like that episode of Friends where Phoebe had a head cold and like she sang better. Yeah. <laughs> um, do, Are we going to talk about the misspellings? Like, do you have a segment about that later? Because I don't. You should cover that. Okay. Um, I'm going to say something real quick right yeah, now. Go for it. When there are misspellings in serial killer letters, it's usually intentional because they want to seem less educated than they are to, quote, throw the police off the track. However, they usually spell things wrong in a way that makes it look like they're doing it on purpose. Uh, BTK did it, and he's the worst. Uh, but Jackie also Ripper also did doughy it. loser. The, yeah, the doughiest loser. Um, but that's often a common thing. Like, they do it on purpose because they think it's going to throw you off. It really just makes them look like an idiot. Yeah. As does everything else they do. But <laughs> I mean, kind of his whole thing makes him look like an idiot, if you ask me. But But, like, spelling <laughs> Christmas wrong... And, like, spelling fry, like, the... F-R-Y. Abbreviation for fry to F-R-Y. I still think of that as the way they read it. If you do not print this cipher by the afternoon of fry, F-R-Y, first of all, I can... I have seen the Zodiac movie so many times, you guys. Really embarrassing, actually. If it makes you feel any better, I've seen from hell upwards of, like, 15 times at this point. At least so even. The killer signed each letter with a symbol, a circle cut into quarters by a cross, kind of like a gun sight. Uh, which would be con- which would continue to be associated with the zodiac in future letters. The letters nerd, <laughs> big nerd. The letters each contained one third of a four hundred and eight symbol cipher that, according to the letter, would contain the killer's identity. All three parts of the cryptogram were eventually published in area papers, along with a statement from Vallejo Police Chief Jack Stilts, who said he wasn't satisfied the letters had actually been written by the killer and requested that he send another communication with more facts. That would prove his identity. That actually is very smart. Like, the police made a lot of missteps in this case, but that in particular, uh, kind of goading them into giving you more uh, evidence, which again came up in BTK. Like, yeah. he he was like, I would like to communicate with you. Is a floppy disk okay? <laughs> and they're like, absolutely, yeah, sir. We can't trace you that way. It's fine. Uh, so the kill rampage quote that he, uh, had threatened, uh, for what is worth never took place. Um, and then on, I feel like we would know about it <laughs> a week later, the San Francisco examiner received another letter this time opening with a now infamous phrase. This is the Zodiac speaking. <laughs> and in this letter, he wrote in answer to your asking for more details about the good times I have had in Vallejo. I shall be very happy to supply even more materials. By the way, are the police having a good time with the code? If not, tell them to cheer up. When they do crack it, they will have me. Uh, the letter writer then went on to get more facts about the case, including details about his shooting of Mike Majot. A day later, the Zodiac's cryptogram was cracked by Donald and Betty Harden of Salinas, California. And I would love to meet these people because they, they sound fun. The best. Like it's I, I I know I don't know them, uh, but it sounds like a very fun marriage. Like, let's gather around and solve this, you know, serial murderer cipher over breakfast. Yeah. Just you know, that's what you do. 
All right. I'm going to send you uh, the solution to the cryptogram, and I would like you to read this. Um, Good luck, because I did include all the spelling mistakes. Uh, This one also reads more like uh, Homeboy wasn't good at uh, ciphers. All right. Quote. I like killing people because it is so much fun. It is more fun than killing wild game in the forest because man is the most dangerous animal of all. To kill something gives the most thrilling experience. (laughs) I'm so glad you're reading it monotonous the way I read it in my head. There's no punctuation. It is even better than getting your rocks off with a girl. The best part of it is that when I die, I will be reborn in paradise with a C. I and all that I have killed will become my slaves. I will not give you my name because you will try to slow down or top my collection of slaves for my afterlife. <laughs> if, uh, if you if you couldn't tell from um, Emily's wonderful theatrical reading there, he just ends the solution with like a bunch of leftover letters. It was a man who taught himself to do ciphers for the exact reason of sending this letter, and he didn't study well enough. Correct. Uh, and as you may notice, nowhere in the cipher does he give his name. So not only is he a doughy loser, he's a dishonest He's a liar. <laughs> Weird that the serial murderer is a liar. I would have never thought. You'd think of all people. you think you know someone. Yeah. So... On September 27th, 1969, Brian Hartnell and Cecilia Shepard spent the day picnicking on the on the shore of Lake Berryessa in Napa County. Brian was 20 and Cecilia was 22. They had met at Pacific Union College before Cecilia had transferred to the University of Riverside, California. As they relaxed on a blanket near the lake, Cecilia was the first to notice that there was a man watching them from behind some trees nearby. He was dressed in all black, donning an executioner-type hood with clip-on sunglasses over the eye holes. <laughs> I can't it's just wait. So stupid looking. I can't wait to put a picture of this on the Instagram. It's really silly. Um, I wouldn't. I will say I would not like to see this man watching me from behind the tree in a remote park. Oh no, that is in fact horrifying. Um, but out of context, out of that context specifically, this is so silly. He dressed up in a costume, you guys. <sighs> like he's a fucking Batman villain. On his chest, he wore something like a bib that covered his chest. Uh, it was a white cross circle symbol around three inches in diameter, similar to the letter, uh, the symbol that he had signed all his letters with. Uh, like a dentist bib. Yeah. <laughs> as if all of this wasn't upsetting enough, as he approached them, Cecilia realized he was armed with a gun. Brian would later guess it was probably like a forty-five. Uh, the hooded man held them a gunpoint for some time, claiming that he had recently escaped from prison in Montana, where he'd killed a guard, and that he needed money and a car so he could bail to Mexico. Uh, Brian would offer the man his wallet and car keys, but they would ultimately be left at the scene. At some point in the conversation, the man pulled out pre-cut links of plastic clothesline, uh, which, as you might have observed, isn't the kind of thing a guy who was allegedly on the run from the law would probably have time to prepare. Uh, and he- well, nor would he have time to prepare his little outfit either, but here we uh, are. Yeah. Uh, spoiler alert, you'd be right, because this isn't the story of some random escaped convict. This is, in fact, the Zodiac again. Surprise. <laughs> uh, the Zodiac told Cecilia to tie up Brian, which she did. Uh, he then proceeded to, to tie her up as well before checking and tightening Brian's restraints. As unusual as a scenario as this one, was Brian still kind of figured that it was just some kind of bizarre robbery? Uh, right up until the point the man pulled out a knife and stabbed them both repeatedly. Brian six times and Cecilia ten. Uh, five times in the front and then five in the back. The knife is estimated to be between, this is really terrible, ten and twelve inches long. 
Ugh. Yeah. This is this is the worst part of the movie, I will say. This is the part that gives me the most anxiety. Ugh. I Really? Jake Gyllenhaal being in that house with that fucking creep doesn't... That's, that's a close second. But I still remember... <laughs> I saw this movie in theaters with my friend Molly, and all I had heard that was a, it was a good movie. And so we drove half an hour to the movie theater, and we sat and we watched the show. We had no idea what was coming up. And like it gets to this scene, and I still remember we were both gripping like the same armrest and like squeezing each other's hands, white knuckling it through this entire scene because we were so terrified. <laughs> I, I mean, you didn't know that it's a it's a movie about a serial I know, killer, but I didn't expect it to like make you feel like that i don't know i mean i i'm not again i'm not gonna judge uh i had a similar experience watching shutter island <laughs> also a mark ruffalo yeah. movie it's just, yeah it wasn't so much like the scariness of it it's just like the level of tension that he brings to those scenes is really bad i mean F- F- fincher is one of the best directors of the last you know 20 whatever year well probably when was seven is 1995 so, yeah, okay. 20 years. So, yeah, Sarah, yes. 1995 was 28 years ago. <laughs> no, it's not. Oh, God, it was 28 years ago. Oh, uh, we need to move on. I can't We're not going to dwell right on that. Um, so, lots of stabbing. Uh, then he walks away, <laughs> leaving them both tied up at the lake. A nearby fish... Where they froze. We're not going to get into it. A nearby fisherman would eventually hear Brian and Cecilia screams and alert park rangers. It would be nearly an hour before an ambulance arrived. Both were. S- you think that fisherman was like all set for like his big day of fishing, and then like he finally got away from his loud ass wife and kids for a day, and he's like, "Ah, oh, this is. I'm going to have a couple beers. I'm going to catch some trout. I don't know." And then he fucking hears screaming and sees bodies. And he's like, "God." Damn it. <laughs> I think that would ruin my day. Yeah. Uh, when the park rangers got there, both Brian and Cecilia were still alive. Amazingly. I don't know how. They were in critical condition. Uh, Cecilia remained conscious just long enough to give statements to deputies from the Napa County Sheriff's Department uh, and provided them with a detailed description of the attacker. Unfortunately, she would fall into a coma on her way to the hospital and she never regained consciousness. Uh, she died two days later and her funeral attracted a huge crowd of mourners. So currently he is three for three on women, zero for three on the men. Oh, one, one, for, one for three, three on, on the, men, the men. Which I have to assume that was an accident. Yeah, I think he, he definitely meant to kill them. He just didn't do it good enough. I mean, I would present the theory that maybe he didn't want to kill the men. Like, he was angry at the women because whatever dick problems um but by leaving the men alive uh someone saw him and could like up his like lore that's not a bad theory honestly or like he saw what happened when he left that second guy alive and he was like "Ooh, oh someone to tell my story witnesses can be beneficial to this uh mystique i'm building around myself uh yeah like some egotistical tweet shit uh so brian as we've been talking would ultimately recover he survived uh, he's now an attorney in Southern California. Did he really recover? <laughs> well, physically. <laughs> Do you recover from being stabbed like that? Uh, well, he gave a few interviews in the first few years after the attack. He now rarely speaks to the media, which, fair. Uh, yeah. He did give an interview to a local paper in the Redlands Daily F- local paper, the Redlands Daily Facts, uh, in 2007, <laughs> ahead of the release of, I'm sorry, we're going to keep talking about it, David Fincher's Zodiac. <laughs> Uh, in the article, Brian talks about being interviewed by Fincher and his team and his thoughts on the films. And his quote was, uh, they talk to everybody. They probably have miles of tape. 
They wanted details on everything that happened. I read the screenplay and it was intense. It's not gratuitous violence. They were good at not letting him, the Zodiac, become a hero. They had to show violence so people wouldn't root for the bad guy. This was someone who needed to be stopped. Yeah, I mean, I would say that uh, as far as being, I'm not going to say accurate, but uh, as far as being like a good movie about a historical event. Yeah. And I do like the way that Fincher like portrays it because he does... I don't know. He does a good part. Uh, good. He kind of plays into the mystique and like he shows why it fascinated people, but he doesn't make him, he doesn't glamorize well, it, it necessarily, if that makes like sense. It's like that scene where, where Chloe Seveny is like, why the hell do you have to know who this guy is? And like Jake Gyllenhaal doesn't have an answer. He's like, I just, I just do, man. <laughs> Can I go? It's just, it's, it's a human thing. Yeah. Like, what we don't know is what we don't know, and what we don't know is what we need to know, because obviously what we don't know is something that we need to know. Correct. At 7.40 p.m., just over an hour after the attack on Brian, Brian and Cecilia, the sheriff's office received an anonymous phone call from a payphone at a car wash in Napa, about 27 miles away from the crime scene, and just again a few blocks from the sheriff's station. The killer stated that he wanted to, quote, report a murder. No, a double murder. And again, took responsibility it's for the crime. It's just one murder. Yeah, well, he didn't. He I guess thought you're not going to be like, I'd like to. Re- did, I guess. I'd like to report one murder and one attempted murder, yeah. but that was on purpose to, so, like, don't think that I'm, like, shitty at my job. <laughs> it takes longer. I get it. A local radio. A local radio reporter found the phone still off the hook. Detectives were able to lift a palm print from the telephone, but never had any luck in matching it with a suspect. At the scene, detectives found prints from a pair of size 10.5 wing walker shoes issued by the military and designed for walking on the wings of planes. They also found tire tracks indicating that the killer had parked behind the victim's car and on the door he scrawled a message with a felt tip pen. Vallejo, 12-20-68-7-4-69, September 27th, 69-6-30, by knife. Essentially, I'm sorry, that was like a knee-jerk giggling at 69. I know, so I there's remember. a lot of 69s in this episode. Emily, you gotta power ah! through it. <laughs> ah! uh, well, there's the fucking quote for the episode, <laughs> thank you. The dates referenced, of course, uh, are the dates of the Zodiac's previous attacks in Vallejo. And I am going to take a minute to write that down uh, so I don't forget it. <laughs> Just got to power through the 69s. I uh, I guess this is like a, a good preview for the mini, but uh, I didn't realize like how well timeline-wise the mini will fit in with the oh, timeline yeah. of this episode. All right. So just two weeks later, on October 11th, 1969, the Zodiac would commit one last murder. Or at least one last murder that we can definitively tie him to. It's like a the end with a question mark at the end. Uh, That evening, a white male passenger hailed a cab driven by 29-year-old Paul Stein just west of Union Square in San Francisco. Paul Stein. I did think it was funny that they made him like a 45-year-old man (laughs) in the movie because you wouldn't believe that a cabbie would be like a 29-year-old. Essentially, yeah. Or he was like a hard-bitten 29-year-old. I mean, it was the 60s. I mean, if you look up, I mean, you can Google a picture of Paul Stein. He doesn't, I wouldn't necessarily say he looks old, but he definitely doesn't look like a 29-year-old would look today. Hold on. Well, because everyone looked 45 in the 60s. Yeah, Yeah, I don't want to, like, dunk on Paul Stein here. (laughs) Just everyone looked older. 29? Are you serious? He looks like Drew Carey. Very much looks like Drew Carey. 
Uh, so Paul Stein was a part-time insurance agent and was pursuing a PhD in English. He'd started driving a cab to help fund his education. His passenger that night requested to be driven to the intersection of Washington and Maple in the wealthy in the wealthy neighborhood of Presidio Heights. Stein would ultimately drive a block further to the corner of Washington and Cherry. Once parked, the Zodiac reached over the seat and shot Paul once in the head with a 9mm handgun. But not the same hand, 9mm handgun he'd used to kill Darlene Farron. Well, I mean, it was easier to get a gun in the 60s than it is to, like... Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was very few restrictions Super easy. Guns. You could just find one sitting on the street, like... Uh, three, teen- three teenagers in the house across the street witnessed the incident and called the police while the crime was still in progress. They reported that they saw the suspect, the suspect rummaging in the front seat of the car and presumed the cabbie was being robbed, because that's what you would presume. Yeah, that's the rational thing. The Zodiac would ultimately steal Stein's wallet and keys, as well as tear away a large portion of his shirt. Put a pin in that. Bloody fingerprints. The shirt? Yes, specifically. <laughs> Just pin that shirt right back up on your wall. Bloody fingerprints would later be found at the scene, along with a pair of men's size seven black leather gloves, which certainly casts some doubt on those fingerprints. It appears Zodiac took at least time enough to wipe down the cab before casually walking away from the crime scene on foot. The witnesses described Paul's attacker as being a white male somewhere between 25 and 30 and around 5'8 or 5'9. Stocky with a crew cut, heavy rimmed glasses and wearing dark clothing. So... I'm glad you you brought that up because now that I've looked up a picture of Paul Stein and I'm looking at a picture of the police sketch of the Zodiac that they came up with from that description, mm-hmm. did you notice that the the drawing of Zodiac looks like Paul Stein? A little bit, yeah. But I don't, I would do wonder how much of that is just like the glasses, the glasses and the haircut, and yeah. like the, everyone probably had that fucking haircut. So that's a good point. My dad looked like the Zodiac in the '60s. He didn't have a crew cut, but like. Yeah, my my dad would have been like in his teens, like late teens, early twenties in the sixties. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it was a vibe. And then every dad looked like Jeffrey Dahmer in the late eighties, early nineties. So yeah. that's that's a good point. This was just how white males looked. <laughs> <laughs> they all shopped at the same store for glasses. Yep. <laughs> there was one haircut. Uh, the police dispatcher unfortunately made a slight error in relaying this information uh-huh. to the local cops. Uh, instead uh-huh. alerting officers to be on the lookout for a black male. Uh, <sighs> and this may, in fact, be the most single most infuriating thing about this entire case. Because of this erroneous description, when patrol officers Don Folk and Eric Zelms observed a white man walking along the sidewalk just two blocks from the crime scene, uh, and they'd known the crime had happened at this point, uh, they drove past him without stopping to chat. Racism hurts everybody. Mm-hmm. Folk would later describe the man. Yeah, think of it that way. If racism wasn't a thing, we'd know. We'd probably know who the Zodiac was. There are probably some other reasons why you should be opposed to it, but you know, it, it's one of the casualties. Yeah. Uh, Folk would later describe the man to be a white male between thirty-five and forty, so a little older and a little taller than the man witnesses described, um, but still with the same stocky build, crew cut glasses. I also can imagine that like teenagers don't are probably aren't really good. Judge of age. I'm not a. No. If I were to get mugged, I would be like he was between 25 and 60, and he was either five foot or six two. Yeah, correct. I can tell you he was white and he had hair. Yep. I can tell you what color hair he had. That's about it. <laughs> Maybe uh, it is very likely that they encountered the Zodiac that night, but it wasn't until the original description was corrected that the officers realized their mistake, and it 
took folk an entire calendar month to come forward about the incident. So thanks for that. Christ. Yeah, uh, again, in the movie, when they're like, they originally said it was a black guy, but we've corrected yeah, so it. So it's fine. It's a little late. Yeah. The case was assigned to San Francisco detectives Bill Armstrong and Dave Toskey, uh, famously, Hell yeah, it was. famously portrayed in the movie by that guy from ER and Mark Ruffalo. Uh, the crime was initially investigated as a routine robbery that had escalated to murder until October 13th, when the San Francisco Chronicle received a new letter from the Zodiac claiming credit for the murder and containing a small swatch of Paul Stein's bloody shirt. Which was legit, right? Yes. Uh, the three teenager, the three teenage witnesses worked with the police composite artist, resulting in the famous sketch that you have probably seen. Emily just Googled it and will probably be the cover of the Instagram slideshow for this episode. No, I want a picture of him in his little outfit as his dumb fucking hooded, like fat undertaker outfit. Everybody, uh, call in your votes now live. What picture (laughs) do you want to see as the cover of the Instagram slideshow? He works so hard putting together his outfit. We should at least. (laughs) Okay, you got me there. He did put a lot of work into that outfit. We should give him. He had to go to the CVS and buy his clip-ons and like get his dentist bib and draw his little bullseye on it. Probably had to sew the hood because the only hoods like that that you could get during that time were white and he couldn't wear that. (laughs) There's no spirit Halloweens. God, I'm a terrible person. <sighs> it it does feel nice to make fun of him. Though. Yes, it does. Uh, so while we can definitively link these four attacks to the Zodiac Killer, there are definitely a number of folks who think Zodiac didn't stop there. Uh, Robert Graysmith, uh, for example, who was portrayed by Jake Gyllenhaal in the movie, speculated that Zodiac could have claimed nearly 50 victims. Uh, I, mm, I have some uh, difference of opinion with Robert Graysmith as much as, you know... I, I feel like he's done very good work on the case. I do, too. I think he gives him too much credit. Yeah, I will let you get into that next episode. Oh, good. But we can talk oh, about it. And honestly, like, absent, maybe, like, someone discovering, like, a really well-maintained spreadsheet on their creepy uncle's desktop compu- desktop computer, we'll probably never know. Um, but I do want to cover a few of the folks that some theorize could have been murdered by the Zodiac, some early cases. Yes, please do. It means I don't have to research them this week. <laughs> so the first one is Raymond Davis. Uh, so Raymond Davis, like Paul Stein, was a 29-year-old cab driver, uh, and he's been suggested by local historian Christy Hawthorne as a possible Zodiac victim. Uh, Ray, who... I just... <sighs> But doesn't really fit the MO, but continue. So Ray was estranged from his wife. He lived with his brother and he drove for the Checker Cab Company in Oceanside, California, um, which I'm pretty sure is South Carolina. South- uh, yeah, no, that's California. near San Diego. Yeah. Wait, hold on. Hey, butthead. Oceanside is near San Diego, right? Yeah. It's the northernmost city in San Diego County and not for nothing where uh, my book is set. Oh, yeah, that's right. And the first season of uh, American Vandal. <laughs> That's right. Uh, so at 11.10 in the evening on April 10th, 1962, Ray picked up a fare at a downtown, downtown cab stand and notified his dispatcher that he was delivering the fare to a location in South Oceanside. After that, they never heard from him from the rest of the night. The next morning, Ray's body was found in an upscale gated community known as St. Malo. He had been shot twice, once in the back, once in the head, with a twenty-two caliber long rifle and long rifle ammunition. The kind Zodiac would use in later crimes. Uh, How is St. Malo like Marshmallow? M-A-L-O. Oh, okay. I did picture the Stay Puff Marshmallow Man with a halo, but whatever. I mean, I get it. It's what I would want to picture. It's 
It's better than picturing a, a poor dead cabbie. Yes. Uh, so Ray had not been robbed, and police had difficulty establishing a motive in the crime. Uh, not only that, but on the day before the murder, a man had phoned the Oceanside Police Department and told them, quote, I am going to pull something here in Oceanside, and you'll never be able to figure it out. Uh, in the days after, enough. <laughs> in the days after the crime, they're, I mean, they're right. They never solved it. Uh, the police would receive another phone call from a man claiming to be the killer and threatening to target a random bus driver. So there was definitely some weirdness surrounding this one. I wouldn't say I'm like 100% convinced. There are a lot of similarities to like Paul Stein, but I also think like Paul Stein was not necessarily I guess the. I will give this some credence because if this was his first murder, it almost seems like something that he would see as symbolic that his last fair murder on the books was also a cab driver, but it's also not in the same area that he was doing it before. But yeah. It is kind of like a bookend seems like, thing, though. Yeah, it does seem like one of those, like, dweeby, like, this shall be my my big finale, like, my first kill, like, that bullshit. Possibly more famous in terms of the possibly but not confirmed category of Zodiac victims is 18-year-old Sherry Jo Bates, a student at River City Riverside City College in, you guessed it, Riverside, California. Sherry Jo was first raised as a possible Zodiac victim by San Francisco Chronicle reporter Paul Avery, played by Robert Downey Jr., <laughs> had received an anonymous tip pointing him to the similar murder in Southern California. The only way you can describe this episode is star-studded. <laughs> the stars are out tonight. We have the best cast of middle-aged white men you've ever seen. They weren't middle-aged at the... Well... The, Jake Gyllenhaal was probably late 20s, but like... Everybody else. You realize that movie came yeah, out um, 2007, uh, almost 15 years ago. Yeah, but I mean, they were still no, middle- 16 years ago. Yeah, they were still middle aged when it was a thing. Yeah, I think Robert Downey Jr. has been middle aged since about 2003. Yeah. It's the cocaine; it really mm. <laughs> ages you. Uh, so on October 30th, 1966, Sherry Joe spent the evening studying at her college library. She never made it home, and her body was later found in a nearby alley. She had been beaten and stabbed multiple times, and her throat was cut but there is no evidence of robbery or sexual assault. Her car, a Volkswagen huh. Beetle, was just 100 yards away and was found to be disabled. Um, oh, it was Ted Bundy. Yeah. <laughs> I think he was actually, was it this one or another one? Ted Bundy came out, but I can't remember if I like, put it in my Ted notes Ted Bundy, as far as I know, never killed anybody in California. Yeah, probably not. So among the evidence was a military-style heel print from a shoe sized 8 to 10, and a men's Timex hmm. watch that Sherry Joe had apparently ripped from her attacker's wrist during the struggle. You go, girl. Hell, hell yeah. A month after Sherry Joe's murder, an anonymous letter confessing to the crime was mailed to both the Riverside Police Department and the Riverside Press Enterprise newspaper, including details that had never been publicly re- publicly released by the police. Then, in December, a desk with a disturbing poem scratched into the top was discovered in the same library where Sherry Joe had been studying on the night she was killed. That seems like a stretch. Yeah, this I don't I don't really buy this piece of evidence because like any edgy I wouldn't call it evidence. year old is gonna like scrawl something creepy into the top of the desk when they're bored in class like that. Oh yeah. 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 Um finally in April the following year, uh three letters were sent to the local paper, the police, and the victim's father, all declaring Bates had to die. There will be more. I can't find specifically anything that says like handwriting analysis was done, just that they were later, quote, attributed to the Zodiac. But I also don't necessarily trust handwriting analysis. So who knows? No, it's more of a tool than a def, like a defining thing. Like most forensics. Yes. 
Uh, it is true that in 1970, detectives on the Zodiac case met with investigators in Riverside, and the general conclusion that they came to was that she was likely a Zodiac victim. Uh, and the Zodiac okay. would later take credit for the crime in a letter to the Los Angeles Times, but only after the media had covered the case extensively. So I realize this falls squarely into my research court, but I do have to wonder if maybe uh, she was the earliest murderer, or if the cabbie was, but you tend to... As we've learned in Silence of the Lambs, mm-hmm. you you covet what you see every day. Um, so maybe just started there. Yeah, I I would believe this one. I think of all the possible Zodiac victims that people list off, she's probably the most likely. I don't one hundred percent buy it, but like I would not be surprised if tomorrow we got you know smoking gun evidence on it. You know, would be a very weird gun if it's still smoking. <laughs> probably take a look at that gun. That's a ghost gun. Uh, so just a few other folks, in addition to Ray and Sherry Joe, other possible victims are 18-year-old Robert Domingos and his fiancée, 17-year-old Linda Faye Edwards. They were shot dead on a beach near Lompoc, California on June 4th, 1963. Uh, they had skipped school that day for their senior ditch day, which... The, the 17-year-old fiancé is just a rough sentence. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's the 1960s. What are you going to do? Go to college? <laughs> As a woman? Yeah, that's insane. Yeah. Never mind. Investigators believe their killer attempted to bind them, only to shoot them repeatedly when they freed themselves and attempted to run. The weapon was, of course, a twenty-two caliber gun. The killer placed their bodies inside a small shack and unsuccessfully tried to burn it to the ground. Weird move, but okay. Uh, On February 5th, 1964, newlywed couple Johnny and Joyce Swindle, both 19, again, there's a lot of that in this one, uh, they were on their honeymoon in San Diego, California. While walking along Ocean Beach, they were shot from a distance by a twenty-two caliber rifle. Joyce was shot in the back, left arm, and head, and was killed instantly, while Johnny remained alive for hours despite being shot four times. Awful. The killer stole his wallet before leaving the scene. Uh, Police theorized the two were victims of a, quote, thrill killer, whatever that is supposed to mean. Well, Uh, uh, it's it's like a... uh Oh, who is that idiot that they based uh, natural born killers off of? Give me one second. Uh, Carolyn Fugit and, um... Ah! The guy that wanted to be James Dean. I got nothing. Someone is screaming the answer right now. I know this. I know this. Oh, God damn it. I'm going to give myself 30 more seconds to figure this out before we have to move on. You haven't just Googled it yet? I don't know what to Google. Who was Natural Born Killers based on? No, I guess I could Google Carol Ann Fugit. And... That was spelled with a C, not a K. Uh, uh, Charles Starkweather. Those names mean nothing to me. But thank you. Spree killers, thrill killers, the ones who don't do it for, like, sexual reasons or, like, uh, uh, religious reasons or, like, your standard serial killer stuff. They do it just because, like, it's fun. I don't think that's as common as, like, police would, like, probably want it to be. It's absolutely (laughs) not. It is actually Rita Swindle, who is Johnny's sister, who thinks they may have been two of Zodiac's earliest victims. Maybe. Eh. I don't know. Eh. Uh, finally, there's Inadine Melina Martinez, 35, and Furman Rodriguez, 36. They were attacked late in the evening of June 8, 1967, while relaxing in their vehicle on Valacitos Road in Alameda County, California. This is another Southern California case. Uh, after being alerted to the sound of gunshots in the area, authorities would discover Anodyne's, bo- Anodyne's body near the entrance of the Sunal Regional Wilderness Preserve, which led them... How old was she? 35. They seem a little bit... And I'm not saying 35 is old, but Are they you? seem a little... 
Are you, Emily? Yes. It is definitely out of the age range of like the normal couples he targeted. It is a higher number of years that these people (laughs) lived than other victims that we have discussed. Uh, But as they got to the Wilderness Preserve, they found the car and there they found Furman's body as well. Uh, So it appeared that the couple had been ordered out of the car. Furman was shot as he exited, at which point the killer attempted to duck Anodyne. She was later shot twice in the back while attempting to escape. Uh, Once again, this is a case of a killer using a twenty-two caliber ammunition. But um, as we're wrapping this all up, finally at the end, uh, it should be noted that like twenty-two caliber ammunition is extremely popular, and it's probably not like slam dunk evidence that some people would want you to believe. That's what that's what uh, Son of Sam used. I mean, he no, he used forty-four caliber. Sorry, never mind. Forget what I just said. Yeah, but I mean, it's a very common type of ammunition. So, like, sure, Zodiac used twenty-two in a lot of his crimes, but that doesn't so like mean your uncle Ted. yeah yeah so that doesn't mean that anyone who uses a 22 is zodiac so that's the list those are the crimes uh we are gonna stop I here for the night i just it's hard to obviously or we would have it's hard to narrow down who could or could not be a victim because he didn't like he had an mo but it wasn't like there was never a point where it was like, oh, he's escalating, you know? Yeah, you can't really draw, like, a straight line between... I mean, he did a lot of couples, but, like, then he did Paul Stein, and, like, it's... he. Well, he just shot people. Like, there was no escalation to it. He yeah. kind of just, like, did a thing, and then he stopped, which is why, like, all of the stuff that was done to Sherry Joe Bates makes me pause, because, like, whoever attacked that woman, like, went ham on mm-hmm. her, but his, like, confirmed kills are just very very straightforward yeah it's it's almost lazy it is almost like a son of sam thing like you just roll up you shoot him and you leave my overall theory and this is maybe like kind of a teaser for next week depending on what you actually cover but i think the zodiac was less thrilled by the killing than he was by the attention the the attention like i think the killing yeah it was something he had to do to he felt like he had to do to get the attention. Yeah, I don't think the killing was the driving factor. You know, there are like some serial killers who were like driven to kill and like that's their motivation. I think he was yeah, driven yeah, yeah. to get attention. And this was just the best way he could do that. Yeah. No, that makes sense. And um And that's I why mean, I think I'll, like I'll later he just eventually stopped killing people and just kept writing letters. Started writing yeah. letters like he was just writing that high because he's like, Ugh, I don't want to I don't actually have to do the work and I can still get all the like Get my jimmies out of it. I don't know. His, your, <laughs> you know, your jimmies. Okay. Yeah, his jimmies. Christ. Okay. Well, um, that's yeah, that's where we're going to leave not, it tonight. Emily's picking it up from here. I'll pick it up uh, at the the dawn of Mark Ruffalo. Yes. Um, that's how we split this out. I'm going to do the movie up until Mark Ruffalo shows up, and then Emily's going to take over. Yeah, I'm going to get into Robert Graysmith and the differences of opinion that I have. Um, <laughs> Spoiler alert, I think he gives the Zodiac a lot more credit. Yeah, I'm in the, I'm in the like, same boat. I like Robert Graysmith as portrayed by Jake Gyllenhaal. I don't like actual Robert Graysmith. <laughs> no, he seems like kind of an asshole. But I will give him the benefit of, not the doubt, we, we have the benefit of having seen this over and over again, and we've kind of reach the point where we can be like, no one is that like clever or anything. It's just a bunch of doughy assholes. Yeah. He was definitely in a point of time where it was like, this was, this was a new more thing. In, yeah. It was new. Like we hadn't studied it. Like mind Hunter hadn't really happened yet. There had been serial killers, but like not in this way before and not as prevalent. Exactly. Um, so I get it, but also I don't agree. Mm-hmm. 
But we'll get into it next week. Oh, yeah. um, so much. That we'll being said, um, do, you, do you remember how to do the spiel? I think I ask you this every no. time we come back from break. Uh, let's see. Don't email us if you have any theories about Zodiac. We'll do that next week. Um, you can find us on the internet at Afternoonified on Instagram. That's pretty much it right now. Uh, but you can email us at afternoonifiedpod at gmail.com. Uh, there's also getafternoonified.com where you can like look at past episodes. Uh, you can visit our merch store. Um, our Camp Afternoonified 2023 merch is still available should you need your uh, merit badges. You can also get your... Uh, Oh, fuck. What was that horrible mug that we came out with? <laughs> Business Daddy. Foxy Grandpa. No. Business Daddy is on indefinite hold. <laughs> well, we haven't put the Business Daddy mug up yet. I can't look Brian Cox in the face right now. We are not putting the Business Daddy mug up yet. He wasn't Zodiac. It'll be a Christmas present. <laughs> Brian Cox was not the Zodiac. No, he was not the Zodiac. He was in Zodiac, the movie. He was in Zodiac. And I'll talk about him okay, next great. week. <laughs> Jesus Christ. No, the Foxy Grandpa mug. <laughs> that one's pretty bad, too. Anyways. This is what you get for turning things that I say into merch. That's fair. We'll have to put that 69 quote on a tote bag. <laughs> Remember to rate, subscribe, review, all of that fun stuff. It's it's good to be back. I promise I will sound less like this next yes, week. Correct. I didn't cough once this whole episode, but yet when I tried to do the fucking mini, I <laughs> Do you want to go do the like mini I again? Ha- Absolutely not. I would like to go have dinner. <laughs> Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye. We love you. For more podcasts like the one you just listened to, go to SoBelowMedia.com. This, this is as above, so below.